0: invite you to open up your Bibles to Genesis 49, 8 through 11. That's page 48 in your pew Bible. Genesis 49, 8 through 11. Genesis 49, 8 through 11. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall arouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. And now from Zechariah chapter 9, page 838 in your pew Bible, page 838 Zechariah 9, verses 9 through 12. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to the stronghold. You prisoners of hope, even today I declare that I will restore double to you. And then reading from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 17. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 17. That's page 870 in your pew Bible. Matthew 1, Matthew 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, At the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their garments on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went out before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple And overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant." And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants? You have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let us pray. Oh God, let us behold you. Let us truly see you today as the king that you are and transform our life and the lives of others through your word in jesus name amen every sunday we enjoy worshiping the lord together on the lord's day for it's here that we behold the beauty of christ together one of the most beautiful pictures we can place before our eyes is this picture of jesus riding into jerusalem on a donkey You know, if you go to a museum with a bunch of friends, like down to the Hyde down here, and you look at some of the old masters like Rembrandt and Van Van Dyck and Rubens, you you experience the beauty itself as conceived and actually uh, produced and drawn and portrayed on a canvas by these artists. It's a whole different experience than seeing it online or seeing it as a print in the book. And there's something that the Holy Spirit does when we gather together with his people in his house. That we have an immediacy of the experience of Jesus Christ that we don't get by ourselves. Jesus says, when two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. And even when we uh, have communion, Jesus is the host at this table. He is presenting these elements to us And he gives them to us here today. There's something about worship in general on the Sunday that shows to us Jesus. And if you don't believe on Jesus as your king, you may not get this. Palm Sunday can't just be reduced to another religious thing that religious people get preoccupied with. And they therefore ignore all the really bad stuff in life. But in fact... When we worship Jesus on any Sunday and when we worship Jesus as the king on Palm Sunday, it's only then that we truly have the courage to face the world and go out there to be part of the answer to God's solutions and to go out there and face the problems of tornadoes sweeping across the Midwest and the South or the murders of Muslims in Burkina Faso in Africa with 10% of the population there displaced. of 10% of the whole country has been driven from their homes. Whether it's the death of six at Covenant Christian School, where Mike Hill, age 61, died as a custodian, and Catherine Kuntz, age 60, died as a principal, and Cynthia Peake, age 61, died as a substitute teacher, and Hallie Scruggs, the daughter of the pastor, age nine, died as a student, and William Kenny, age nine, died as a student, and Evelyn Deakhouse, age nine, died as a student. There's stuff that's horrible in our world, and Palm Sunday isn't just about some pretty songs. It's about trusting that he is king and lord of all, and we can trust him even in his heart, even when we don't understand all the doings of the king's hands. How does his providence allow that to happen? So I want us to come with peaceful trust in Lord Jesus and recognize the enemies of the king are still working. We saw the enemies of the king here in chapter 21. And those enemies, the devil, and those who serve the devil, are still out there. And we need to align ourselves in faith with the Lord Jesus Christ and believe and trust in his providence and believe that he has a purpose for for us in his world. Let's study this passage verses 1 to 7, recognizing the authority of a real king, verses 8 through 11, calling upon the king, and verses 12 to 17. The coming judgment of the king. So first, verses 1 to 7, recognizing the authority of a real king. Jesus glorifies himself, and we glorify him when we trust in him as he came in that day and reveal to the whole world, as it's been written down now in the holy scriptures, that he is the king. Before this, his actions and miracles had declared that implicitly. But with the actions of Palm Sunday, it was declared explicitly. Implicitly, Jesus is the king. He cast out demons from the demon-possessed man in the country of the Gadarenes in Luke 8, verse 30 to 33. And he demonstrated that he was king over supernatural evil when they were out in a boat and a storm came and the disciples thought they were perishing, Jesus demonstrated that he was king over creation when he rebuked the wind and immediately the wind and the waves stopped. Even the waves were immediately settled, which is not something that happens naturally. And then we see in Luke seven fourteen and 15 that Jesus was king over death when he raised up the the son of the widow of Nain. And in Luke 5, 20 to 24, Jesus forgave the sin of a paralytic man and he proved it when he healed that paralytic man and showed that he had authority to heal and authority to forgive sin because he was the king over sin. But now on Palm Sunday, Jesus takes on the public emblems And symbols of kingship, choosing himself to enter into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As it's quoted in Matthew 21, verse 5 Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. And so he chose this, he planned it. He didn't plan the palms, he planned the donkey. And we see that this quote comes from Zach, Zachariah in 9, 9. And that whole idea of the king coming to you has a double reference. It's a double reference to, first of all, Jesus, the eternal son of God, coming out of heaven to earth to be incarnate at Christmas that he took on flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we then see that this was a coming that had a spiritual purpose, that we would be adopted as sons and daughters. To as many as believed on him, he gave them the right to become children of God. But then the coming took on the element of physical entry, coming into the holy city the city where he was going to be crucified. I sometimes wondered, why did God go through all the trouble of having the temple rebuilt and having that city with its walls rebuilt? And I shared with the men a couple years ago that it came to me finally, that city had to be built because it was in that city that Jesus needed to be crucified. And it's outside its gates that he would be put upon a cross And so he came in and we think of most often kings coming in on a war horse uh, and they would pick up palms to celebrate the king and his victory over all the prisoners that he led in triumphant procession behind him. But Jesus here instead takes the form of entry associated with the kings of Israel, such as Solomon, who rode into Jerusalem on a humble beast of burden. It says in 1 Kings 1 and 33, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule. You see, the kingship of Jesus was disputed. These religious leaders didn't like him. And also the kingship of Solomon was disputed because Adonijah claimed to be king and he wanted to be king because he saw his father was getting old and doddering and his Father David said, no, it's Solomon's going to be king. And he's going to ride on my mule, and that's going to declare him king. And so having many disputes with many people, this Jesus rode into town as the king on a young donkey, a colt. It's a slightly different image than the humble beast of burden, which Solomon rode in on David's mule. But in this case... This one upon whom Jesus rode was a colt, the foal of a donkey. He was a purebred colt. And we know that because a, a mule, if it was a crossbreed, a mule is a crossbreed between a horse as a mother and a donkey as a father. That's what a mule is. The horse is a mother and the donkey is a father. And so if it says here in Matthew 21 and verse 5 that the colt is the foal of a donkey, that's the one the colt associates with, a colt associates with his mother, if that mother is a donkey, then we know the father was a donkey, and we know the mother was a donkey. This is a pure bred colt. It's appropriate that this Jesus... Who is a real king, and who was the Lamb of God, spotless, without blemish, to carry our sin, it's appropriate that he came into the city on a purebred colt. As we consider this picture, we see that Jesus planned this whole thing, and he showed his kingship by planning it. Looking at verse 2, he told them to go to a particular village where they knew he would, they would find a donkey and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. Now, this required a gutsy obedience. Walking into a village, walking off with two beasts of burden who were the valued work animals of some farmer there. And if they were challenged, they were simply to say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. That's kingly authority. And it's also a kingly authority that is something that is received by God's people. We receive it and then act out of that authority. It takes a lot of guts to talk that way. But humbly, you simply say, The Lord has need of it. Now, I don't suggest that you go off to South Glens Falls and drive off with a nice Toyota Tacoma. Uh, you know, pretty well certain you're going to get arrested. But I do know this. You need an obedience that's uncomfortable. You need to have an experience of a relationship with God. He's sometimes calling you to do stuff that doesn't feel natural all the time. It could be witnessing this week, using one of these pamphlets or using this booklet to invite somebody to church. It could be Bold acts of hospitality, taking a meal to somebody you hardly know in your neighborhood. My wife did it the other day when she brought a loaf of bread to the people who own the house where the dyke used to live. I, I sort of wouldn't do that, but thank you, Lois. I'm just saying, what is your comfort level? Are you ready to get uncomfortable for Jesus? And are you ready to obey him? Would you take a look at Matthew 20 with me, back at 32 and 34? It says, you got these two blind men, and they're near Jericho. And they're calling out to Jesus, have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. And then in 32, so Jesus stood still and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. You see, just before the story of Palm Sunday, God in his sovereignty has arranged for Jesus to have these two blind men come up to Jesus and ask him to do something. And Jesus has given them sight. And this is a sign That we need to have our eyes open so we can see this Jesus who comes into Jerusalem as king. That's how the gospels are lined up. There are connections between the various stories in the gospels. And we need to have our eyes open that Jesus truly is king. And then we're going to obey him. Are we going to believe that he is the son of the most high God? Are we going to declare in our life, in our lips, that he's a kingly, kingly figure in our life and we obey him and we're counting on him to take us to heaven. You know, so much of the pain and the heartache we see today in politics, in war, in the persecution of Christians by Muslims in Africa, in the murders of six in Nashville is traced to sin A willful spiritual blindness refuses to acknowledge that Jesus is the king. I'm calling you to ask God to open your eyes. If you don't get this today, pray to Jesus right now, silently. You can keep your eyes open. I don't care what you do. You may want to bow your head for a moment, but pray that God would open your eyes to hear his word in this sermon today. We see in verse 6 of chapter 21, these disciples had had their eyes open. They were ready to obey, verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. This same authority of a king is predicted in Genesis 49, verse 9, page 48. When Jacob blesses his sons, he blesses them all. And then he talks about Judah, and he says, He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter that shall not depart from Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Catch that. God's people obey this king. And it says, binding his donkey to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine and clothes in the blood of grapes. Phil Brecken points out this is one of the lesser referred to prophecies that Jesus fulfills. Indeed, he was associated with a donkey and a donkey's colt, both in Zechariah 9 and in Genesis 49. Jesus is a real king. And now I ask you, will you recognize his authority to be worshipped as such? Will you worship him in spirit and truth and honor him today? Will you trust him? And will you even believe that the garments of his human nature, which through his sufferings and death was like a vesture dipped in blood, and he became red in his apparel. Think of that as one commentator, Gill says, this clothing is, is like that human side of Jesus, his, his, his human nature. And it was dipped in blood and experienced the blood and the brokenness. He died in our place for his sin. Trust this one as your savior. And may your eyes be open, like that Gadarene demoniac like the blind men Jesus healed, like these disciples who obeyed Christ. Obey him and trust him today and go forth to take risks of obedience as it's more important for you to be obedient than for you to be comfortable. Second verses 8 through 11 call upon the king. Having recognized the authority of a real king, we are to call on him with praises. John Calvin puts it this way. Christ's approaches ought to be the church's applauses. When Christ approaches, we should be those who applaud him, who praise him for his works of mercy. The king was lowly, sitting on a donkey. The colt, a foal of a donkey. And they set Jesus on them. It says that in verse 7. And I think that Jesus was actually sitting on the colt alone, only on the colt, as Zechariah prophesied, rather than seated on both of them, straddling two animals. I think there is an association of the mother donkey with the colt, that she walked alongside of the colt, upon which Jesus rested. And so in effect, he was sitting on them both. He was sitting on the picture of his kingship that the people in the crowd would see, oh, there's a colt, and there's the donkey beside the colt. There's no missing that that's Zechariah 9:9, And come and see him as the lowly king, even though he is a glorious king. You see, we got to hold the dynamic, the tension in the biblical text. He is the king of kings. He was given dominion as the son of man. It says in Mark ten forty-five, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how he showed his servanthood this week. He gave his life as a servant. And in Daniel 7, that son of man figure is a glorious figure. High and lifted up. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom the one which will not be destroyed. So we have a king who is high and lifted up, glorious, and yet willingly humbles himself. You see, the principle in life is this the lowly are lifted up. He who would be great among you, let him be your servant. And he who would be first, let him be slave of all recognizing the honor of meeting this king on the streets of jerusalem verse 8 they spread their cloaks their garments on the road others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road the cutting of branches in which it was what was done to greet a victorious king and the spreading of cloaks is something that is even lifted up in the Old Testament, if you want to turn there, 2 Kings 9, page 338, page three thirty-eight, Second 2 Kings 9. We have Jehu, who was anointed secretly by Elisha. Elisha was told by God, go in there. You extract that young man from his crowd. You go to a secret room. You anoint him. And then you scram Elisha. Basically is what he's saying. And so Elisha did that. As soon as he did that, he was out of there, which was a little bit mysterious to the people who were in the outer room. And then it says in 2 Kings nine eleven, when Jehu came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you? And he said to them, oh, you know, the fellow and his talk. So he's trying to cover up that he got anointed. And then in verse 12, it says, and they said, that is not true. You tell us now. You tell us what he did behind closed doors. And he said, thus and so he spoke to me, saying, thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. And then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed Jehu, is king. So when you are putting your garments down, you are in effect saying you are the king. Having honored the king in this way, we see that this crowd had some of them before Jesus, it says. In verse number 9, there were some multitudes who went before and those who followed. Maybe the ones in front were the ones who came out of Jerusalem. They could have been the savvy city slickers. They're the ones who want to get rid of the Romans, so they come out to meet him. And then when they see him, they accompany him in, and they're leading him. And then the ones who were behind are the ones who were the ones who believed in Jesus truly as their Lord and Savior. His band of disciples and other believers behind him. In both cases, they're calling out. They're calling out that they believe. They're calling out. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in this highest. Now, when they say Hosanna, they're not, strictly speaking, using a a word of praise. They're saying, instead, save us. They're saying, we need help. And as Philip Reichen points out, why could they come to Jesus for help? And Reichen points out that In Zechariah 9.9, it says that this one was righteous and having salvation. And Reichen teaches us that this is a word best translated in the passive tense. He is righteous and saved. And the reason that Jesus can help us is that he himself was saved from the tomb. He was saved from death on Easter morning and that he came out of the tomb, he could then offer us a full and complete salvation as we had our sins forgiven and were given new life. Come to this one who was saved himself, not from sin, but from the punishment of death that he went through on our behalf. Come from this one, come to this one who was saved and have your sins forgiven And believe upon him that he will bring you to a new life. And finally, we see in verses 12 through 17, in verses 12 through 17, that here is one who is presenting himself as the coming judge. Overwhelmingly in his first coming, Jesus presents himself as the one who did not come to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It says in John 3, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But we have to admit that throughout the Gospels, there are those religious leaders and there are those hard-hearted people that he judges very severely. And some of those people are right here in this story when he turns over the tables of the money changers and he drives out those who sold doves. They were bankers and commercial people. And basically, they were taking up space in the temple. We learned from the other gospels, they were in the court of the Gentiles. So Gentiles couldn't go further in than this. So the only place in the court that was a place for non-Jews was taken now. And the money changers cheated people. They're called robbers here. They're called uh, thieves. And the people selling the doves are selling things in a place that should have been reserved for prayer. He's judging them. But look at the contrast. Verse 14. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And so I want us to be people of like, like, like the, 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 the humble, the, the people who know we need help and, and not those who are so self-confident that we, we do things in church that keep others out and we do things in our own life that doesn't make space for people to learn about Jesus. And that often revolves around our money. It says in the Wall Street Journal that equal shares of Democrats and Republicans, 45% each said money, was a very important value to them. By way of contrast, the journal noted that in 1998, 70% of Americans said patriotism was very important, and this year only 38%. In 1998, 62% said religion was very important to them, this year only 39%. What's going up? It's Honoring money. That one raised up. It went up from 31% to 43% this, this uh year. And so I want to just suggest to you that we need to be those who value Christ, who is the heart of all true religion, that we would be those who show mercy upon those who are tend to be left out on the fringes of society. And that we will recognize the day is coming when he will hold us to account on how we responded to his gospel. Are we going to be agents of good news to this world or are we going to be agents just trying to make money off the world? And it says in Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is, do you know who this is? It's the word of God. This is Jesus. He's coming the second time on a war horse. He's not coming on a donkey. And I just want to say to you, be ready. Know the Jesus who came on a donkey so you don't have to face the Jesus who comes on a horse. Recognize the real authority of Jesus this Sunday. Worship him publicly today and every Lord's Day. Obey him even when it's uncomfortable. Ask God to open your eyes. You're blinded by sin, people. You're blinded by sin. Don't trust your heart. You can't trust your heart. You need the word, you need the truth. Oh, dear church, come to Christ today. Repent of sin and come to Him. And may you see Jesus, the humble king, who died to save you. Call on him, Hosanna, save me. And be warned today not to let this king pass by and leave you unmoved and unchanged. For the day of reckoning shall come. Know him that day as your savior when he comes again in glory. Let us pray. Oh, God, open our eyes. We're just like those men at the gate of Jericho. We need to see. Oh, send your spirit today upon this church. Oh, Lord. that We would see you in your glory. Your humble glory is the friend of sinners who died for sinners. Oh, Lord, change our life. Give us new affections to love you. And want to be in your presence and to become like you. And thank you, Lord, for publicly declaring your kingship on Palm Sunday so that nobody could miss it. In Jesus' name, amen.